Hey guys, before we get started today, I wanted to remind you to check out the First Draft podcast with ESPN experts Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, and Field Yates, who bring you the latest intel on the NFL Draft every Monday and Thursday. Listen wherever you get your pods and check out the Monday shows on ESPN's YouTube page. Minicom show featuring Lenny. The only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thought the Super Bowl commercial with the robotic dog was very offensive. That's Lenny. I'm Minicom's. Dominique, I actually didn't think any of the ads were particularly memorable in this year's Super Bowl. What about you? Yeah, nothing stood out. I mean, it was it felt like a nostalgia fest. The whole yes. Super Bowl halftime show in commercials. Everything was nostalgia fest and <laughs> I don't know. It just kind of washed over me, and it happened. The Rock was so corny, though. I'm sorry. So I missed that actually, okay, but I heard about you. it. Yeah. But yeah, there was a Cable Guy reference, Austin Powers, um, uh, and then I mean, of course, yeah, the Larry whole David. halftime. The Larry David, yes, for crypto. Um, I guess that means like millennials right now maybe have more buying power. I don't know. I, I haven't thought it through. Um, yeah. In any case. Pretty underwhelming commercials. Excellent halftime show. I'm going to say medium Super Bowl. Where do you fall before we get yeah. started and actually talk about the game? Yeah, I think medium's fair. I think it was. It started out pretty good. I enjoyed that. And it ended yeah. in a one-possession game uh, with Aaron Donald shutting it down. It was kind of, and I feel ashamed to say this as a defensive player, it was a little anticlimactic because it was like, oh, it's over. Aaron Donald just pressed him. Back-to-back plays. Okay. Yes. Which felt inevitable, which is weird because I, I guess with Joe Burrow, it's not like when you, – you remember the NFC Championship when Garoppolo had like, I don't know, a minute, two minutes left and was driving. Everybody kind of knew it was over. You would he think with driving. Joe – It was like two minutes left, I want to say, when Garoppolo no, had I'm, the ball. I'm objecting to the word driving. Oh. That's all. Okay, when he was in the position to drive. uh, Yeah, no, he was firmly in park there the whole time. But, you you know, with Burrow, you'd think based on everything we had seen this season, ah, maybe something could happen here, and and they got money back, and they could get in field goal range quite easily. But at that point in the game, especially particularly in the second half, given how utterly dominated they had been by the Rams' pass rush, I I did not mean a Kimes believe that Joe Burrow was going to actually drive the length of the field. Yeah, I didn't think he was either, but I still was surprised by how it ended. The first pass to Chase was a really good throw because, yeah. I mean, Jalen Ramsey jumped Woo. the hell out of that route, and that's a pick six uh, with most quarterbacks, but he threw it away from Jalen Ramsey. Yes. And Chase turned it into a big play, so it felt like, and that was what they did all day. It wasn't just the second half. Well, I guess the, the D-line dominated in the second half, but it felt like the Rams were much, much better than uh, the Bengals. The Bengals made some really big plays, cheated a couple times, and and that kept them in the game. Cheated. <laughs> well, to the Bengals fans who are listening, who are screaming Logan Wilson's name right now, yeah. I'm sorry for my colleague, Dominic Foxworth. However, y'all did face mask the hell <laughs> of Jalen Ramsey. The, um, the Logan Wilson play was not the same as a 70-yard no, touchdown. No, it really, it wasn't. Uh, the, the the face mask was also weirdly underplayed during the broadcast in a way. I, they didn't have the replay immediately, and all they said was Jalen Ramsey fell. Wow. And I thought, no, something happened there. I got to see it. 
Um, I think Ron Tolbert, who didn't exactly cover himself in glory, the, the, the refing crew, afterwards said they didn't call it because he, he didn't turn his face. Literally, I... I it, oh, look, is it T-1000 or the Terminator who turns his entire head around? That's exactly what it looked like. I mean, I'm it, he got yanked to the ground by his face, but that that is not where I want to start off talking about. Um, I want to start off talking about the Rams, I, I guess kind of chronologically, Dominique, because in the beginning of this game, you talked about how it started fun. Based on how the Rams' offense looked at the beginning when OBJ was in the game, I thought it was going to be a blowout. I mean, maybe not a blowout necessarily because the Bengals had a pretty good response on offense, but that Rams offense, the one we saw in the first two drives before Odell Beckham Jr. was hurt, looked like, I mean, they just looked unstoppable. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it last week, I think it was. I think you and I both were like a little hesitant to say it, but thought it was going to kind of be a dominating performance. And then the first several, I guess the first quarter and – until OBJ got hurt, it seemed like we were right. <laughs> and then he got hurt, and it changed absolutely everything. It's, it's amazing how they could become so reliant on a player that they just got. I mean, did that shock you? Because So, let, so I want to spend the first kind of half of this talking about the Rams' offense against the Bengals' defense. The total collapse of the Rams' offense after the injury until the game-winning drive, which we could talk about in a moment, um, you know, we're still talking about an offense with Cooper Cup, who's arguably the best wide receiver in football. Um, and I guess Van Jefferson is their number two. He was a second round draft pick, but watching him take on the OBJ role, frankly, in that offense, especially with the vertical stuff, right? Where they were trying to hit him on some of those slot fades. Like, it, it, not, it, I don't know if it was more of like a testament to OBJ or a referendum in a negative way on Van Jefferson, but it was kind of astounding to me how bad the Rams' offense looked. Um, and then, of course, we have to also point a very large finger at Sean McVay, who, wow. yeah. I mean, let, let, let's put it this way. If the Rams lose this game, if Cooper Cup doesn't convert that fourth and one and on the game-winning drive— we're all talking about how Sean McVay collapsed, no? Yeah, and where we're, we're, uh, his mistakes in the previous round are more highlighted, then we're re-looking at this entire playoffs, and we're talking about how Sean McVay kind of crumbled. Then we look back at the Super Bowl, previous Super Bowl and how he got outcoached in that one by uh, the Patriots. And I think the, the idea, the concept of this young, amazing coach is a little different because I don't think he was special as far as coaching, like – I hesitate to say that he was bad <laughs> coaching in this game well, last game, but I, it's not, it's not fair one. to say completely bad because the the um, play design is still him, but it felt like in-game decisions. I don't know. I feel like these offensive gurus, it goes for him and Shanahan, they need to hire a head coach. Like, if, mm-hmm. if you want a guru all game, you need somebody else to make some of the bigger decisions. I like that. I mean, listen, if your running backs, really Cam makers for the most part, are I mean God, some of the stats. I'm trying to find the craziest one. They're they're all astounding how inefficient the Rams run game was. I mean, it ultimately ended up averaging like 1.6 yards per carry or something. But I think I saw a stat somewhere, and it would believe it was Keegan Abdu at um Next Gen Stats who had it. Okay, yes. All right, so here, so yes, it was it was 1.9 yards per carry overall, which is the worst ever for a Super Bowl winner. They didn't have a single successful by EPA play until that game-winning drive, running the football. So basically, every time they ran the football was a win 
for the Cincinnati Bengals. And I think if you're going to rail on McVay anything, it's it's his utter refusal to go away from that for two and a half quarters. And, and look, they're like it's again, you're, they're, they're, it's not his fault that they lost OBJ. And like there were, I think some examples clearly where like the route running wasn't there. Um, you remember the bunch concept where like the two dudes ran into each other and then Stafford missed the throw to Skronik or whatever. But like um, there was another stat that really grabbed my attention. This was uh, from our folks that uh, when OBJ was playing, Stafford was throwing into tight windows 8% of the time. Afterwards, it was 29% of the time. So clearly, like, the wide receivers were not separating the way they were before, and you can't blame Sean, Mc- blame Sean McVay for execution. But the obstinance when it came to running the football was astounding to me personally. Yeah, I mean, the only way you can explain that is you don't trust your quarterback, and you're like, I don't want to give him any chances to blow it. But, I mean, you got the quarterback because you didn't trust the last one. Um, I, I rewatched uh, while we were talking. I rewatched all of Van Jefferson's targets because it it stuck in my mind that he couldn't create separation. Yeah, and the targets, yeah, I rewatched them. Yeah, he couldn't get any separation because nope. he got those OBJ one on ones that OBJ was running away mm-hmm. from, and the closest defender seemed like he was two or three yards behind him. And Van Jefferson has a guy in his hip pocket on these fades that he's throwing. Um, the one positive Van Jefferson uh, play was that one that Stafford missed him in the end zone where he kind of got behind yes. the defense and yeah. was wide open and Stafford missed him. But I found myself, Stafford's two interceptions, it felt like to me neither of them were really his fault. <laughs> like, the first one was the arm punt, right? And then the yeah. second one was the scronic tip, which was a little behind, but they were not yeah, like mean, egregiously bad at all. The, the, the one that was behind, it got intercepted, but he didn't throw it in an interceptable position. Yes. Like, Skoranek put it there. Like, if you're going to drop it, that's fine. Or it's a bad ball, you can't catch it. That's one thing. And Van Jefferson, it surprised me when Stafford threw it up, that jump ball. Like, receivers want you to give him a chance. And he, like, had his hands down like he was going to catch it in the basket. Just go attack Mm. that. But he became a dad. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) That's true. It really didn't feel like he was – I mean, it – I, I don't know. It almost made me appreciate OBJ more watching oh, yeah. Van Jefferson play the OBJ role. And, and like, you know, as we've spent it for and talk about the Rams now, as much as I think their approach has paid off and as much production they've gotten out of some role players, you know, we're talking about two drafts where you got it. You spent a second rounder on Van Jefferson and a second rounder on Tutu Atwell, who got hurt, but like wasn't really playing much. And, you know, as we spin it forward, we'll see what happens with OBJ and his injury and um, Von Miller as well. But like, it is very obvious, and also, of course, Robert Woods and coming back from injury, but it is very obvious that um, this team cannot function with only one wide receiver and Cooper Cup until the game-winning drive when... Um, have you seen the movie Draft Day? No. Okay. I, I care about my eyes. Yeah, that's, I, that's a point for you that you haven't <laughs> seen it. This isn't a spoiler, but there's a point in the movie where Kevin Costner's uh, character, who plays the GM of the Browns, has a uh, a post-it note that says Vontae Mack, no matter what. It's like uh, he's going to draft a character. It, this doesn't really, story doesn't really work if you haven't seen draft date. Anyways, I feel like the game-winning drive. They put up a poster note, post-it note that said Cooper Cup, no matter what. And I don't know why that post-it note wasn't up earlier, even when he was being doubled. I frankly don't care. But in in this draft, he was actually Dominique. What surprised me was they were able to get him one-on-ones a lot because they were in tempo the whole time. And he got a lot of favorable matchups. But even when he didn't, like on the insane, bonkers, 22-yard no-look pass, you know, where he was pretty well covered, he's freaking Cooper Cup. Like, yeah. 
So that's another thing against McVay. Like, I really think the inability to get involved. I mean, he had more catches on that drive than he did in the entire game. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's on. Yeah, it feels like it's on McVay. It feels like it's on Stafford. It's a little bit of both, yeah. Yeah, but it seemed like they got it right when they had to get it right. And they were, like, we're offensive-centric. All of us like to talk about that. But, like, the, the Rams defense kept them. Um, in a position where they could mess around and run the ball and they could uh, not target Cooper Cup until they absolutely had to. But that pass that you mentioned, the the no-looker, like that, Ooh. I Ooh. mean, the the the, the gumption. <laughs> I don't know if your podcast is for uh, is a family podcast, the words that I'm thinking, but to, to, to throw that ball right there, and it wasn't like, not that somebody would be showing off in that moment, it was 100% necessary because Von Bell is yes. sitting right there waiting for the route. And he's doing right he's there. doing exactly what you coach is you you hold it, hold it, hold it until he cocks the throw and then you break downhill to make the tackle. And he held his position. Then uh, Stafford pulls the ball back to throw and Bell breaks down and Stafford throws it without looking right. Just in, <laughs> and even with all that. Cup's still not open, and he has to throw it just outside the reach of Bell. That is the pass of his life. The face I made when I saw the end zone view. Yeah, it's not it's it's not okay. Um, yeah, you know what? Like, strike me about that whole drive and that the, that that pass or whatever. This week we talked a lot about the last Super Bowl and how Sean McVay didn't really adjust right, and that's ultimately how they lost. And there were some adjustments made on that drive. I mean, I talked about. The tempo, for example, you know, the use of tempo, the fact that they stopped running it on early downs. And I think a lot of t- Cups targets came, I think most of them actually came on second down on this drive. Um, and that they did a pretty good job of basically, you know, spreading the Bengals out. They had them, I mean, the Bengals were seeding, and I'd like to hear your thoughts about this, a very, very soft zone to them yeah. the whole drive on certain points, um, you know, giving them the sticks, which I was a little bit perplexed by. But ultimately, you watch a throw like that, and like that's Sean McVay has nothing to do with that. <laughs> like yeah. that's not that that's not like this is the whole narrative about McVay was always like ah oh, he just wants to be a joystick, you know, playing the quarterback or whatever. No, this this is a, the most talented quarterback right now on the field with the most talented wide receiver on the field making an absolutely insane play, and it's ultimately why they won the game. Yeah, it felt like to me watching the way they played that final drive and the how they committed to stopping the run, it felt like the Bengals had decided they're gonna wait for Matt Stafford to make a mistake. They're gonna mm-hmm. they're not gonna put their guys in tough spots. They're not gonna challenge um the receivers. They're gonna sit back and hope that Matt Stafford crumbles in this moment or makes one mistake. They were expecting him to throw a jump ball to Jaquaski Tart. Uh, in the middle of the field. Like, that's what it seemed like. And they ran yeah. cover three. They ran cover four a couple times. But that last drive, it was all cover three until they got down in the red zone in a position where you can no longer run mm-hmm. uh, zones like that and you have to play man up. And then they went after Eli, and which sucks for him. But, I mean, it's not much you can do at that point. You got the right. best receiver in football and man coverage and a got-to-have-it situation. It's a tough spot to be in. Were you impressed by the Bengals' defense for the most part? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this whole run in the playoffs was, I guess impressed is the wrong word, <laughs> but uh, I was pleasantly surprised. And, and yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not fair to say impressed is the wrong word. I was impressed with what they did the second half against um, the Chiefs. And then in this game, I was impressed because it felt like the offense really didn't stand a chance and they had 
crazy big plays, like the one-handed catch from Chase, which I guess you can say yeah, that's not crazy. Yeah. That's what you expect from him, but that was an outrageous yeah. catch. Like the what led to points for them did not feel sustainable. And then you look up and they have the lead in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, I think kind of what we saw from this defense for the most part outside of that drive is – Pretty similar to what we've seen over the course of their postseason run, which is they, you know, are extremely well coached, disciplined, like you said, waiting for Matt Stafford to make some sort of a mistake. Um, some pretty unique pressure looks. Uh, they threw in some of the drop eight, you know, from the AFC Championship with mixed results. Uh, but for the most part, I think like if the Bengals had won this game, I would be looking to, I don't know, like Logan Wilson and. Uh, DJ Reader, who I thought was fantastic, and and it would be kind of the same story of the last game for me. I mean, uh, you know, maybe Joe Burrow makes a crazy play, and we're all talking about Joe Burrow. Also, it's sports media, so we're probably saying Joe Burrow yeah. won the g- entire game as the greatest quarterback to ever play. But <laughs> point is, like, I, I, like I don't think you can take anything away from all of these Bengals quote unquote role players on defense, um, because for the most part in this game, again, outside of that one drive. I thought they played really well. Uh, I mean, the, the run defense was fantastic. It was very deliberate, but uh, it wasn't, you know, like, I, for the most part, like, I, 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 it's hard for me to find much fault with either them or Lou Anaruba's approach to this game. I mean, if I'm being completely honest with you, like, it's hard for me to find much fault with anything that the Bengals did all game. Like, I think that mm. um, Boyd's drop pass, like, you could have caught that. The fourth down early in the game, there was someone open in uh, Burrow. Didn't yeah. see Higgins on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was that, and like outside of that, I, I don't know what else you wanted them to do. They were not as good. <laughs> They're not as talented as the team they right. were playing against, and they were not talented in areas that you can't really cover for. Like it, if you're close, like they got a little bit better D line than your offensive line, we'll figure something out. But it's not like they were blitzing and you could screen them out of that. Yeah. I, I would have liked to see some more like design Joe Burrow runs on third down because it feels like that might pull them out of those super wide rush lanes that they were in. But other than that, like you just got beat. <laughs> Sometimes they're better than you. And they didn't necessarily, based on the, the stats and what we've seen all season, nobody thought the Bengals really deserved to be there. They They won enough games to be there and they got beat. You you mentioned a couple of things I want to talk about with Joe Burrow and some of the defensive looks they're getting. So let's take a quick break, come back, and uh, talk about that side of the ball. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Mina Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Mina Show, M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. 
This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience, recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. So, Dominique, the whole week, the overriding narrative going into this game was that the advantage that the Rams had in the trenches would be too massive, too insurmountable talent-wise, for the Bengals to overcome. And, well, narrative's, narrative's voice, that's what happened. <laughs> I, 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 like, I, 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 I'm, there's, you know, there's a lot of interesting aspects to this game, and we can talk about play-calling decisions, and I can yell about Sean McVay running the ball and whatever, but for the most part, it's pretty freaking obvious why this game turned out the way it did. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> all the things that we expected to happen happened, and and the D line was completely dominant. Um, the we are going to focus as we should focus on those last two plays by Aaron Donald. Those are mm-hmm. huge, enormous, legendary plays, just as big as the Cooper Cup plays and the Matt Stafford passes on the final drive, because that final drive for the Bengals can tie the game or win the game. So they needed those plays just as much as they needed those touchdowns. However, that third down off of the um, Skoranek interception, the third down, third and one, I think it was, when um, when Aaron Donald got a sack, like that was yeah. huge. Forced a field goal right there. That changes the complexion of the game. And then Vaughn Miller, they, when they were um, uh, rotating or sliding the line in the other direction, yeah. and Vaughn Miller gets one-on-ones and gets sacks, Like those are huge plays throughout the course of the game. Seven sacks is not something you can survive in the course of the game. You did it against nine one time against a, a worse offensive team, but that's not – it's an aberration, not a strategy. We all kind of thought it was going to catch up to him, and they almost outran it again, but you can't. <laughs> I was thinking about after the last Super Bowl when you said you got high on the Mahomes supply and you picked him even knowing that there was the, the Chiefs were at such a disadvantage in the trenches – and I don't think Joe Burrow, like I, I wouldn't compare the Bengals offense to the Chiefs offense by any stretch of the imagination. But I was thinking about what you said going into this week. Like, I don't, how can you pick against this pass rush against this offensive line? Now, granted, Sean, am I being too hard on Sean McVay? Tell me right now before no, I, ca- no, I finish. No, you're not. He, like, this, <laughs> that's what people this come to dude, your podcast for. They don't come for the normal stuff that everyone's going to say. They come for the truth. This dude got so lucky. First of all, he got lucky when Kyle Shanahan punted, and he got lucky in this game because he would be getting the business today, from me at least. Um, but anyway, sorry. Back to the Rams pass rush. The, the one thing I did find curious, though, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this, is um, they weren't super dominant early in the game. And... Whereas uh, Sean McVay took a while to make some adjustments, and then you know on that game-winning drive we talked about some of the things that they did. I thought Raheem Morris was a lot quicker to make adjustments to get some of those matchups you talk about 
um, you know, with those overloads and getting Aaron Donald and, and Von Miller in place and sometimes adding that fifth pass rusher uh, to the and some of that, of course, was just, you know, at a certain point, just overwhelming. The Bengals offensive line was just overwhelmed. But I want to say around maybe certainly in the second half, but maybe a little bit earlier is when it suddenly just felt like, oh, they just have no chances in this thing. The Bengals offense. Yeah, I mean, there's no answer when you have a mismatch everywhere. So you just have to figure out how to um, get to get the guys you want in the matchups you want. So I think that's what took them a second is my guess is and I've never been in a coach's meeting, but the way I would go into a game is I would anticipate. I know what I'm going to do, anticipate how they are going to respond and have a couple different um, kind of alterations that I want to add to it. Uh, depending on what their response is. And that's what it mm-hmm. felt like. They saw the protection that they were majoring in. It takes – I mean, you don't go into a game with all your protections. Maybe you can switch to them if you have to, but you're going to show them throughout the course of the first quarter. All your passes, you're like, all right, this is their plan for the day. And then from that, you're like, all right, they seem to be um, sliding the center to Aaron Donald's side. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. It's not the first time we've seen that. We know how to answer that. Let's get somebody up in the gap to make sure that – they turn to him. They have mm-hmm. to respect him, whether he blitzes or not. You get a, a linebacker up in the gap. Or mm-hmm. you go ahead and let Aaron Donald be over there, and you put Von Miller on the other side and let him work one-on-one. And it seems like when you have these type of tools, then right. it doesn't take much. And well, not everybody can do that. But when you got those guys up there, you're like, all right, do whatever you yeah. want. Right, just let me see what you're going to do. You don't have an answer. We have better guys. As long as I react to what you're doing, that's fine because someone's going to have to win a one-on-one up front. Yeah, I mean, even after Aaron Donald, it's like, oh, you have Von Miller. But even after Von Miller, you have Leonard Floyd, Greg Gaines, and Ashawn Robinson, who has had a fantastic season, not just against the run, which we've talked about, um, but also getting that interior pass rush. One of the sacks was a... Was a Robinson sack, by the way. Trying to, it's hard to keep track of all the sacks. And that the the Robinson sack in particular jumped out to me. I think it was the third quarter, if I remember correctly, um, because Joe Burrow almost escaped and he kind of stepped up and lifted his leg. It reminded me a little bit of the Chiefs game where he was like so good at eluding Chris Jones and Ashawn Robinson, all three hundred something pounds of him. I don't know, shed his block, flipped his hips, and brought Joe Burrow down. And in that moment. I, I, it just occurred to me, like, oh, my God. As you said, whatever answer you provide for Aaron Donald, the Rams have a counterpunch that is going to, that is going to make this an impossibility. And I think that that's the other thing I wanted to ask you about, just because of that disadvantage. Like, is there anything they could have done? I mean, you, you talked a little bit about the difficulty of running the screen game against them. Like, is there anything, watching Zach Taylor's game plan, watching the Bengals' offense, that you feel like, they could have done or at least leaned on a bit more to address this disadvantage. Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned the I'd like to see quarterback design runs, but then you're yeah. putting your superstar quarterback in more danger, getting him hit. Wow. But it's like mm-hmm. he's going to get hit anyway. So yeah. I, I'd, I'd like to see that because that will at least slow down the edge rushers. I also would love to see um, – chase in motion or chase off the ball in a stack and it's just like a smoke route quick get it out to him and let him work you see how hard he is to tackle and let him do like that type of stuff that takes the Mm. pressure off of the offensive line give them some plays off and if you can run the ball that's fine that gives them some plays off too but you don't want to ask them to do that all the time you want to give them some plays off and you also want to keep the uh the defensive linemen on their toes like every time it's a passing situation Maybe it's not going to be a pass. Oh, can I hate on um, 
uh, McVeigh, one more time for you. Yeah, get in here. Third and five. <laughs> okay. I tend, I try not to be one of these people who like reacts to the result and think that when you do. Oh, is this uh, the fake? Wait, you're talking about the fake, the trick the play? The reverse pass. Yeah. The reverse pass. So I'm fine. I love a trick play. But, but it's third and five. But why? No one expects you to run the ball on third and five. The point of that type of play is it's a toss. So let's be in a toss situation. First down, second and four, something that anticipates a toss. You're going to run a toss, reverse, and have Cooper Cup, which I imagine that play was designed for Odell Beckham because he's the one who actually can throw. Incredible. But you're going to run it anyway with Cooper Cup on third and five? So I'm just checking to see if Cooper Cup was a high school quarterback right now. And no. (laughs) Whoa. Earned. Played both defensive back and wide receiver. Oh gosh! But we I mean, all that, no, all uh, that is not. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. That, that was that Fly was a ter- ter- terrible, terrible, terrible play call. Also, Cooper Cup should be ashamed because and Joe Mixon you, threw a, a beautiful pass in this game. Didn't beautiful you touch pass. trade away everything because you didn't trust the quarterback you have? Now you got a quarterback that you trust, and on also, big downs, that, you're like, hey. I, at that point in the game, he was throwing it fine, right? Like this is this is what I keep going back to with McVeigh. Like with, it's weird because I've been so hard on Zach Taylor this year, but I find myself as I try to come up with various criticisms for him, uh, acknowledging the fact that he was so hamstrung by what we're discussing. Right. Whereas Sean McVeigh, you're not hamstrung. I mean, I understand there's a talent discrepancy, but the answer to that talent discrepancy is not, you know, the Cooper Cup. Uh, just making me mad all over again. I'm sorry. Um, yes. I So, anyways, back to the Bengals' offense against the Rams' defense. I, I am just not – I agree with you. I think maybe some more, like, some more screens to chase, you know, just because of how good he is at, yard, at yards after the catch and how bad the Rams have been at tackling him. My When they tried quick game stuff, it wasn't really working – um, the Rams, I thought, were really successful when they had when they were in dime, and uh, you know they they had a, they were pretty light and fast and did a decent job of chasing down all of the short stuff. But for the most part, it's just I guess maybe there could have been a few more plays where they had left in some more bodies to protect the. I think the um, if I remember correctly, I think the big the go ball to chase they may have had maybe had seven in. Um, just by the way, incredible catch by Chase on that one. But, uh, for the most part, it is, it, I, I felt a little bit, I'm not comparing him to Patrick Mahomes, but I did feel a little bit like I did after that Super Bowl, where I was like, I don't, I, I don't even really know what to say about Joe Burrow's performance in this one. You know, like, I don't really feel like this is a, a situation where we can even evaluate the quarterbacking. Yeah. I, I have to agree with you wholeheartedly. I, I think, um, he did fine considering all things considered, like I guess they could have run the ball more, some whams or traps, anything that is designed to get the defensive line at separate levels. Like that sort of stuff might have been useful. Um, uh, RPOs, like that works with the zone coverage stuff that you're seeing yeah. a lot of, and it's it's quicker. So there are things that they could have done, but I honestly don't think that they would have changed the outcome. Like they made the big plays. Because I, I don't think that they had the team to drive all the way down the field multiple times. Like, again, their points were result of big plays most of the time. And so all this other stuff is dink and dunk and crossing your fingers, which I don't see that working either. Raheem Morris, you want to give him some love? 
as we wrap up. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he had these weapons and he utilized them and he adjusted going forward. So, like, yeah. I, I think I was hesitant to crown Brandon Staley last year because of how talented yeah. that team was. But, I, I mean, in this situation, you saw the adjustments that were being made. And maybe had Brandon Staley made it deeper into playoffs, we would have saw that also. But it's nice when you have all of these weapons. It makes it easier, but I guess it also it requires more, I guess, mental like agility. Because you're like, we yeah. can do 13 different things. Let me narrow it down to three the three right, right ones for this game. Let me coach these guys up and use them. So that's a, a skill that we saw from Raheem in this game. I, I felt like in every playoff game, they had a unique offensive challenge. You know, with Kyler, it was obviously blitzing him, but also finding a way to use that extra blitzer with the Rams. It's always five to get, you know, contain him, right? Spy him a little bit. With the Niners, of course, it was stopping the run game. And then with this one, there were some adjustments. I mean, you know, early on, the Bengals were having a lot more success. And I think some of the adjustments they made with their pressure packages, which you and I discussed, um, were quite successful. They played a little bit more man than I expected as well. So I, or pardon me, not earlier in the game and then switched to playing more zone. But I, I just think generally, like, he, he put together a really phenomenal postseason in terms of, okay, I've got these star players how can I get the most out of them, but also find ways for all these various role players, whether it's an Eric Weddle or an Ernest Jones, who was excellent in this game to contribute. So I, th- I thought it was just really, really impressive. It's funny to me, like Kevin O'Connell is going to be the head coach. I don't know what he does for the Rams yeah. necessarily, but like, I mean, you watch that Super Bowl, both sides of the ball. Raheem Morris is the guy who I would hire just based on this Super Bowl. So Eric Weddle, watching him play, Bro, was <laughs> it gives me it makes my back hurt watching him play. <laughs> that was clearly a man for whom there was no tomorrow. It was like uh, my career is over, but I'm gonna throw my body around. I don't need my shoulders or my chest after today. I'm gonna give this would to the ha- cause. <laughs> would you ever feel that temptation, being like, like if a Super Bowl team called you and said, Dominique Foxworth, we need you for one last job. Please come out of retirement." Um, and Absolutely you're in, okay, but in this scenario, you're as good as Eric Weddle, not you know yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and you get to the end before you say something mean to me. And, and you, you get to play, and you get to play with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. So you know, you I maybe mean, you're I, not being asked to do that much. I I think that I would like to try to do that, but I'm I'm far enough away to be honest. Is like. No one would make that call, and my body would fall apart. Like, no thanks. I'll, I'll pass. I'll come out and cheer. I can go dance in the end zone in a hoodie and flip-flops. I can do that. I can grab you 15 yards. That, that was rough. I normally, I hate all taunting and penalties, pardon me. Yeah. Obviously not all taunting. And I never want to be the person who agrees with the refs in just about any situation. But that that was a tough look for Brian Hargraves. That was a tough. Look. Really bad. I don't Can't know do how that, you explain man. that. I don't know how you explain that. Um, it's not like let, he just came off the sideline a little bit. Let's wrap by talking about these teams going forward, and I want to start with the Rams because the there's like a couple narratives around this team that I don't agree with necessarily. One is that other teams are going to look at what they did and say, "Yes, all in, it works." You know, push your chips to the center of the table. 
I just think that's kind of ridiculous because so many crazy things had to happen for this Rams team to come together. First, you have to have the Von, the OBJ saga, which is bonkers and not really like something we've seen in football. Um, Jalen Ramsey, who's one of the best cornerbacks in, in the NFL, has to be uh, available for a trade on a bad team that's willing to do it. And then a quarterback, a good quarterback, also has to be on a bad team. Like, that's the thing about Matt Stafford, Matthew Stafford, pardon me, that is unusual, I think, is that, you know, he's a good quarterback on a shitty team. So when he last out, they were willing to do it because they were willing to rip the Band-Aid and do a rebuild. And I just don't see that happening often, whether we talk about an Aaron Rodgers or a Russell Wilson or whatever. There's not the same incentive for the teams that they're on to be part of these types of trades. You also have to inherit Aaron Donald. You have to inherit the best defensive player in recent history. (laughs) <laughs> that is, he is the best well. player on that team. And right. that they gets, drafted, yeah. Yeah. Uh, did they draft him? I mean, McVay yeah. didn't. Yeah, yeah, sorry. But in, yeah. They have to inherit him. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I was speaking from McVay's standpoint, I guess. But um, yeah. that, that's part of, oh, the team draft him. Yeah, yeah. That's part of all of this is uh, to get an undersized defensive tackle <laughs> who cannot be blocked by one, two, or three people. So <laughs> that changes mm-hmm. all of this. I think it's hard to copy all of that. The idea that, um, and also part of the reason why it worked is because it was a zig. <laughs> like, the if they're the only people in the league that think are valuing first round picks the way they are, then there has value. If multiple teams start to do this, then there is no value there anymore. But yeah, I don't think teams will follow it. As football is not basketball or baseball where. Some teams decide midway through well, the season that they're sellers, and other teams decide they're yeah. They're but 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 I guess what I'm kind of saying is like, you know, the, even if you're willing to part with your first round picks, what are the odds that you're going to yeah. end up with a Jalen Ramsey guys are available, right? Versus, uh, and this is just a totally ra- random example, uh, Jamal Adams per se. No, like if you look at the history of massive trades for first round picks, yeah. like the you know of first round picks, they don't usually work out, and the Rams. In finding Ramsey, you know, the, in some ways, Dominic, I actually think the riskiest move of all was Von Miller trading a yeah. second and a third for a guy who a lot of people at that point in the season thought was not the player he was for a half a season, not even entirely a full season, and then having him return to form, he did. To me, that might be the hardest of, of all of these moves. That might be the thing that's most impossible to reproduce. Yeah, it paid off, but. I don't think that it's advisable, and I guess yes. that's the that's not some that's not a model that you could follow. That's not a consistent right. strategy. Is like give up two high value picks for a guy to play a half a season, and um, a guy who's past his prime. Even if he even though he did play quite well in this run, he is past his prime. Like that's if people start following that as a as a blueprint, then we're going to see a lot of turnover in front offices around the league. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the other. I guess thing I want to dispel or disagree with is the idea that this is kind of like it for the Rams. Like, yeah, I I do think they're probably never going to be better than they were this team, at least in the near future. But assuming Aaron Donald doesn't retire, if Aaron Donald retires, throw them out the window. (laughs) Like, this is all dumb. But um, by the way, again, not speaking as a Seahawks fan, but go out on top, King. It's a great yeah. moment for you. They go out a legend. <laughs> Truly. Um, it's mostly the same team. Like, OBJ is hurt, and then we don't know what's going to happen with Von Miller. I do see a universe in which he comes back, though, candidly. But um, 
for the most part, otherwise, still a good team. Yeah, still, it's still a good team. People. Like, you lose Whitworth, but yeah. Joe Noteboom was pretty good. I don't know. The great Eric Weddle. You're going to miss him. <laughs> um, the one thing that I did notice myself thinking last night, which may be completely off, like I can't psychoanalyze these guys, but this felt like, and maybe it's because all the reports that everyone's retiring, this felt like such an exhale for this team. Yeah. And it felt like something that's going to be hard to bounce back from. It's not the run it back type of team. It didn't feel like that. It, emotionally, it felt like, huh, like this felt like a continuation of the Super Bowl they lost. And this felt like the final chapter, the final season that we did it. And so recreating whatever um, incentives they need to is not going to be easy in recreating the luck that uh, came along with this. And them, like they had some injuries, but they've been really healthy. Yes. Over this these past couple of seasons. So, like, all that stuff is hard to imagine. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. And Aaron Donald, like, I have to assume he's going to retire because I've never. You, really? You think he will? Well, maybe not, but I've never heard. He's eight, he's had eight years in the league. Yes. Imagine someone who's the best player in football at eight years in the league and they ask them, um, are you considering retiring? And he says, well, I just want to enjoy this moment right now. <laughs> like, that is not something you say if you're coming back. Like, imagine before we heard the Aaron Donald reports, if you would have asked Aaron Donald, are you considering retiring? How would you have reacted to him saying, well, I just want to enjoy this moment so, right now? Somebody actually asked me, someone in the NFL actually asked me a couple weeks ago if I had heard that. And I was like, what? No. Yeah. So this has been floating around for a minute. Again. Right. He kills that. If it's like, I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's, like, it's, no football player so, doesn't kill that. I guess, like, this is one of those things where it's like, I, we don't know what he's going through. We don't know what his body is like, right? What right. Is his, I, I don't think he's been as banged up maybe as some. But, you know, it is also, though, it, there, I guess part of the reason it's hard to imagine is, like, we're talking about a player who's already in the greatest of all time conversation with Lawrence Taylor and, like, is probably if he plays again, we'll probably be an old pro again. And like, right. it's just kind of, I think we as again, someone who's not putting their body through that, and it's easy for me to say, well, why would you not want to cement your status in like NFL history or whatever? If or his status is already there, but like yeah. become that unequivocal, you know, that obvious number one. But I don't know, man. I don't know. We'll see. Um, again, as a CX fan, you absolutely hate to see it. You hate to see it. Um, <laughs> But I, but I do want to hit the other side really quickly because, um, you know, I think with like I think you're absolutely right. Like with the Rams, there's like a uh, feeling where it's you feel like okay, God, imagine if they had lost, you know. With the Bengals, the narrative is kind of oh yeah, we're young, we'll get back there, and nah, it's not <laughs> easy to get back to the Super Bowl. I'll say this. Um, so my question to you is like, do you think? This Bengals team that has a ton of cap space next year, and obviously it will spend that to fortify their offensive line, one would imagine. Do you think that they're well equipped to continue being, if not a Super Bowl team, at least a dominant team in the AFC? Dominant? No. I mean, you said the key word at the end there, or the key acronym is AFC. <laughs> yeah. I, so I think that they can fix their offensive line in one offseason. The Chiefs and the Chargers recent examples that that can happen you put a lot of resources towards that um their defense was not dominant but i think this year of experience has been good for them like they're 
relatively young team. Um, well, actually, defensively, they're not that young, <laughs> but yeah. they can address those issues. They can be good, but they also are still going to be in what did Harbaugh call it? Like the quarterback conference. They're still going to be in the quarterback conference, and they're going to have to get past either or both of uh, the the um, Chiefs and the Bills. And then they have the AFC North. Like, they have to get through that, which is never easy. So well, I think it'll never be easier be than it was this year, in my opinion, because oh, yeah. of all the injuries to the other right. teams, yeah. Right, and um, the Browns will be better. Baker will be healthy. The Ravens will get healthy and be better. The Steelers may get a quarterback. Otherwise, their defense is going to give you a, a headache, but they're still a not very good team. But I do think that the the competition is going to be too too steep to declare them some sort of dominant team, especially after how we saw them play in this playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I would never, I would not call them dominant. I would not have them as the favorites. But I do think, you know, with the clear mandate, cap space, relatively few free agents. They got to sign Jesse Bates, who was obviously awesome in the postseason. Um, and then, of course, the most important thing of all, which is they got a really, 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 really good quarterback. And, right. you know, that that's what they learned this year. I mean, they already liked him his first year, but I think this year you come out of it assuming he's healthy. Whew. Uh, feeling feeling really, really, really good about that and a lot better about your coaches, too, although I've been critical of them at times. All right, speaking of criticism, as always, wrapping with five questions for our guest, four from me, one from Lenny. And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? Question number one. I assume you've been following this Kyler Murray social media story. I have. I'm shocked. Okay, so for those who don't know, it starts with Kyler Murray unfollowing the Cardinals. Everyone kind of writes that off as, uh, you know, Giannis unfollowed his team a few years ago. This could be nothing. Maybe he's selling an NFT or something. Then, more smoke. On Super Bowl Sunday, our Chris Mortensen reports that sources in the Cardinals organization, not not fans of Kyler Murray, I don't want to misquote him, but basically – uh, you know, saying that he's not uh, mature, maybe would be the right the right way to phrase. Finger pointing. They yeah. call him they, they they call him a finger pointer, which of course is deeply ironic coming from an anonymous <laughs> source. My question for you, Dominique, is like, is there any way this ends well? Um. Yes, I think there is a way that this ends well. <laughs> I think it's unlikely to end well, but. I don't understand if you believe that he's immature and and selfish and a finger pointer, why? I guess we don't know who this anonymous source is, but the assumption is the anonymous source has some power or maybe it's not. Maybe it's like a a backup Mm -hmm. linebacker, but the assumption is that they have some power. But if you have a problem with him being immature and finger pointing, why in the world is the way that you want to handle this to leak that he's the problem in the, in the media in a quarter, in a, um, in a league that is quarterback thirsty, like nobody is going to side with you. And even if they do, it doesn't matter. You're trying to win the press conference or win the the public sympathy. Call Kyler and figure this out. Do what you got to do to figure it out because this ain't the way. Yeah. My feeling is like, I don't know, it might be true. I'm not going to immediately say yeah. that, you know, you know he, he does kind of look a little irritated on the sidelines sometimes. Who cares? But at the end of the day... 
Well, Dominique, you know that. I mean, I'm not talking about the the irritation on the sidelines thing, but right. leadership matters. Like, I right. I like to. I, it's not something I talk about a lot on this podcast, but whatever. But at the end of the day, if this is coming down to Kyler Murray, Cliff Kingsbury, and Steve Kime, I think we all know who you're choosing here. So, right. <laughs> you, you make it work with Kyler. If if one of those other two legs of the tripod is dissatisfied with the quarterback, well. But he's got to go. And frankly, I don't know. You, I've been Steve, critical of Steve Kime separately from any of this. So, yeah. uh, and Cliff Keysbury, obviously. All right. Question number two. Mortensen had a really he had a busy Sunday, man. He also reported that the Colts might be interested in moving on from Carson Wentz via trade or release. Do you think that is going to happen? Jim Irsay owns the team, so who knows what's going to happen out That's there. Really- like he he's liable to do anything. Um, it's and it, given the press conference that uh, Ballard gave, like that seemed like they were yeah, Hamilton. that was yeah. So for those who didn't catch it, uh, the GM of the Colts, Chris Ballard, was very critical of Carson. Like more much, I think that's probably the most critical I've ever heard Chris Ballard be dominating. And that really got. <laughs> Yes, he's like a very like you know just kind of by the book kind of dude. Mm-hmm. Looks like a um, dad in Pleasantville. So like that really got me a little bit. I don't know. My ears perked because that didn't sound. I mean, financially, it would be possible for them. I think they would save a reasonable some double digit cap space. I think my only suspicion though is not just the fact. Obviously, there's enormous sunk costs with the draft picks and all that, but like. Who's gonna be their quarterback? You yeah. know, and I think that's why it might not happen. Yeah, I don't know what they're gonna pivot to, but maybe they're in the in the uh, market for one of these other quarterbacks that might be moving. They're a roster that we all thought was a quarterback away, but we all thought it was they needed a different quarterback than the one that they got. Then they got the one that they got, and they are still a quarterback away. So, mm. question I, yeah. three: Go ahead. Who who is the best performer in the halftime show? Was the highlight for you? <sighs> Snoop. Do you feel like it was the best halftime show of all time? No. Below you do. Prince. I'm not through. Just, uh, just yeah. I mean, you, is that are people are people saying that? People were saying that on the internet. Like, I mean, people man. say everything is the best everything ever uh-huh. after anything decent happens. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Like I put it behind <laughs> Prince. I put it behind Michael Jackson. I put it behind Beyonce. Um, yeah. Okay. I enjoyed yeah. Beyonce's. You didn't like Beyonce's? No, I did, but I this one really the nostalgia factor. Yeah. Which by the way is probably not a good reason to say it's the best. Like it was the most nostalgic, but it yeah. was you know what I mean? Is it actually the best? That's a good good point of contention. Poor um 50. poor fifty. What was the worst fifty cent meme you saw? <laughs> there was no bad ones. I loved them all. He never left the candy shop. <laughs> I thought that was that was pretty mean. Oh, I, don't, I, I don't I don't approve of that. I just mm, want to make we don't like stand. it. We're putting it out there as an example of things you shouldn't say. They Laura asked us who our favorites were on NFL Live today, which was I was scared for her to ask, and because Orlovsky was there, and I think you can imagine how that question and finished. <laughs> oh, that guy! He's he's on cloud nine. He can do no wrong. I I was on Get Up with him this morning, and I. I let him go off on all his many tangents because I'm not going to rain on that man's parade today. 
I'm not going to rain on it either, but he was doing the whole, Stafford, no one believe. I'm like, literally, we've believed in this team all year. I said they're like the best team in football <laughs> at various points during this season. This was a super team. They're like the opposite of an underdog. Like, in no universe was this team an underdog. Anyways, I love you. I love you, love you, Dan, though. I do love you. Um, yeah. All right. Qu- fourth question. Um, I just want to ask you a non-football one. What's something you've been either reading or watching lately that you'd like to recommend? Hmm. Like to recommend. I actually watched um, Nightmare Alley. Um, oh, the um, Bradley Cooper movie. Yeah, and it started out a little bit slow and weird, but it picked up. I like that. Um, at the end, I, um, I wa- I read How to Be Perfect. Uh, I'm about good. halfway through that. That's yeah. by Mike Michael Shore. Uh-huh. Um, so I did. You get an inscription. You had to pay for an inscription. Did you pay for one? Oh no! I just ordered it online. What are we wow. doing, paying for inscri- inscriptions? Well, so you know, I was trying to support the cause, whatever. Not like well, what cause? Like, I didn't know there was a cause. I, I heard there is, he had there a book that... coming out. I ordered it. I actually think it might be going to charity. I think so. I didn't look too hard okay. into it, but I asked him to write. Um, Edelman should have been ruled out with a concussion during the Super Bowl. Sorry, my team cheats so much, and he did write <laughs> well it. Um, but then he added a inscribed photo of the Malcolm Butter, Butler interception and oh, put it in the book. Gotcha. So, gotcha. Dead to, actually, kind of dead to me. Southside on um, HBO Max. It's a pretty funny show. I've not heard about that one. Yeah, it's older, but it used to be on Comedy Central, but now it's on HBO Max. It's pretty funny. I'm in season two right now. I'm also watching The Sopranos. I don't know how I got all this free time. I don't know either. Well, I actually do know because you weren't in Los Angeles, which brings me to the final question from Lenny. He wants to know, how does it make you feel that ESPN had him him on location at the Super Bowl and not you? Oh, it was my choice. I feel fine. Sorry, Lenny. You got you got suckered in this. How much you get paid, Lenny? Sure, ha! Choice. Sure. I'm sure it was your choice. <laughs> Text, Lenny's working texting for free. Me, texting me what's going on out there. Nobody texts you what's going on there. Nobody cares about out there. Did you have fun there? Not too much. I was in Anaheim.